0: Our story did not begin in slavery. We were enslaved. That was a state of being that was not who we were as beings, right? And so our journey came prior to that slave trade. And so we were all of our old land. Most of our family still owns that land that was here prior.
1: That's Lamisha L.A. Whittington Kaminsky, the Deputy Director of Advanced Carolina and Campaign Director for North Carolina Black Alliance. She's our guest today. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Well, I'm excited for this conversation. Um, I have with me Lamisha uh, L.A., uh, Winnington Kaminsky. Um, Lamisha joins us as a descendant of the Kingdoms of the Happy Land, a post slavery settlement rooted in agriculture and forestry established in North Carolina Appalachian Mountains. Lamisha has made it a personal mission. To advocate for agricultural climate justice, economic justice, rural communities, and communities of color, alongside her brother, they co-founded TW Two Inc., a five hundred one C three, a nontraditional satellite arts school. She is also the co-founder of the Scale Academy of Performing Arts. Lamisha Lee's work nationally in policy advocacy, community engagement, and research. Uh, on the intersections of human rights, social rights, and environmental justice, specifically environmental racism present in communities of color. LaMisha is the deputy director for Advanced Carolina uh, 501C4 and campaign director for the 501C3, sister org, uh, the the North Carolina Black Alliances, Man, I don't know when she, I don't know when you sleep. I got I gotta figure out all these, you got a whole lot of these C3s, and the C4s putting you to work. Right. <laughs> she is the co-convener of the North Carolina Black and Brown Policy Network and the former National Democracy campaigner for Friends of the Earth, chairwoman of the F R E N C or I guess that's the, the Free and North Carolina.
0: Mm-hmm. It is free and
1: C. Free That's what I thought it was. Free and see, uh, fund administration and a member of the Burke Women's Fund in Western North Carolina, and the North Carolina Radio spokesperson on fair courts for the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. After coordinating over 250 water and land rescues during the climate disasters of Hurricane Florence and coordinating immediate supply drops to residents post. Hurricane Michael, uh, Lamisha became a founding board member of Democracy Green, a community-based disaster relief organization. Man, Lamisha, I, I just, I just, man, I, I, we can stop there. Don't even, we don't got to go further. That, that, was just something else. You, you are a busy bee for sure. Yeah, I didn't realize. I didn't realize you're gonna read the whole thing. Look at me. The, you you sent <laughs> the whole thing. We gonna read the whole thing. <laughs> If you send it, because you're going to get mad at you. You can't leave something out. They'll be like, I ain't speaking to Rev no more. I, you know, I, you know kind of, He selected my bio. He, he decided that that I wasn't... Know. I ain't doing that. I'm going to read everything. <laughs> and, and, it, and it is impressive. but um, well, Lamisha, how are you? How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. It's good to be here on the Coolest Show. Uh, so definitely an honor to be here with you, Rev. And 2020 uh, has been a year, but I'm just... Glad to be standing. Glad to be here. Still glad to be in community, um, and just happy that my family is happy and healthy and safe. So you know that's priority. But I'm
1: I'm doing well. Hope you are. No, nah, doing well. Uh, well, you know it's busy. A lot going on. Got election stuff happening. As you know. Right. And uh, and we got a lot of things going on with the climate uh, crisis, as you know. And we also got things going on with racial justice, as you know. So one of those things by themselves would be enough for a <laughs> full day's honest work but we got three or four or five of those things going on at the same time but we're not gonna stop as we say, you know my world can't stop won't stop so we're gonna keep Can it we're gonna keep stop. it we're gonna keep it going but I need the folks even beyond that impressive bio of yours um, if you could now just break that down, as the powerful sister you are, who is Lamisha Whittington?
0: Right, well, again, thank you for having me on. So I'm a native of North Carolina, and that really goes, the reason at the top of my bio it says, kingdom of the happy land. And so uh, that is really a deep part of just the my legacy is my family. Um, we are uh, a former settlement that was rooted in agriculture, right? Rooted in land sustainability and actually living off of the land to create economic models of prosperity. But to back it up a little bit more, we were a community of African-Americans, Black folks who came here prior to the transatlantic slave trade. And oftentimes mm-hmm. our stories are not elevated. We had uh, trade routes because again, our story did not begin in slavery. We were enslaved, that was a state of being that was not who we were as beings, right? And so our journey came prior to that slave trade. And so we were all of our old land, most of our family still owns that land that was here prior. The other thing about these settlements is we're not the only that exists in this nation, especially in the U.S. South. They don't give us credit because then the truth would come out that we were also a part of those slave rebellions right? That we were also part of the emancipation of our own people that, you know, the same protests that we're seeing today in 2020 isn't new to our people. Our ancestors were definitely uh, completely those folks. That is where our legacy is. And so the Kingdom of the Happy Land um, is was an assortment of folks, my folks, who developed this land, but they were enslaved, sent to Mississippi, but upon emancipation came right back to the same land and established, purchased, over 300 acres, had this deeded land, and they actually had two kings and a queen. And Mm. so this was during the Reconstruction era. It was the second uh, kingdom on U.S. soil, only second to Hawaii. And so a lot of times that's hidden, but North Carolina has a deep history of uh, Black-only towns that were very prosperous in the Reconstruction era. And so that's where my folks come from, but that's why agriculture environmental justice it's who i am even before the words uh i would say environmental justice was coined and i know we'll I'll, i want to get into that a little bit later in the rich history but we lived right we lived, we breathe we survived and it was a part of us and now it's a part of my journey of honoring where i come from my people but what does that mean for our future generations and my future kids and so that's really who i am
1: wow no, that's, that's actually very important history and thank you for that i don't think A lot of people knew or know about that history. Um, I guess knowing that history, how does that impact you? Let me just break it down. For instance, my parents are both from Trinidad, and I was born here in the United States. And so while growing up here um, in Louisiana, um, uh, I had a different worldview outside and inside. And that helped me to see my idea of what it meant to be an American, but also what it meant to have roots other places. It seems like the same thing for you. I haven't really heard of that so much in, in from an internal aspect, but it seemed like there's a pride and a different kind of um, ownership that, that you're talking about. Let's talk more about that, about what that means for you Absolutely. and for the people um, down in North Carolina who we'll also share that with you as well. Right, so you're spot on
0: about the pride. Um, as we know, historically speaking, the history that's been elevated in our you know, school books uh, that was you know, uh, integrated into our, uh, like I said, learning as children and adolescents, it was always the purview, the perspective that as black folks, black Americans, African Americans, Our history, again, began and ended with slavery. And everything from there uh, goes into the, uh, really, abuse of our people. Uh, We are not intelligent enough. We are not, we don't understand sustainability practices. We don't know how to build economic prosperity. There's all these disparaging, we see it in the media. Uh, We're criminals, We're, we're always, we're in poverty. Those statistics can be true because the environment has been set up for us to fail. We'll get into that a little bit later. But coming from where I come from, it challenges every notion of that mainstream thing that we are not kings and queens. I know that I am. I know that my people are. So then when I'm in community, who I see, are kings and queens, who I see are prince and princesses that were stripped of that title, that were stripped of that legacy, and are now grappling to just piece together what they can with what is left after being assaulted, lynched, bombed, all the things, and that goes to the land as well, stripped. Our land is directly tied to our independence, our autonomy. You can't build a freedom and an economic model. You can't build a black business without the land. You can't build homes without land. You can't build the churches, the wall streets, none of that exists without the land. And so with that grounding and hearing that as a youth, growing up and just being immersed in what it looked like to be raised by a powerful black mama and a powerful black grandma. My mama would go, I remember the first time, uh, I was around seven, eight years old and we had a potential dirty corporation set to come into our backyard, a predominantly black neighborhood, right? The same old story, sounds familiar, right? And she says to me, "I'm going down to town hall, and I'm speaking out against it." Now she was an activist; that was not her title. Her title was "I'm a mama," right? But to see the power in that black woman, my mama, to go down and speak, and she was on television at that point, and the corporation was defeated. It mm-hmm. was such a a huge like the community came together. But to see her as a child, that was reminiscent of where I came from. But to see her act in that power and defeat the corporation, that's the pride within me because I know it can be done. And I know what we're fighting for can be won. That's
1: that's what I think. No, yeah, that's powerful. I guess I want to, I mean, you kind of open up a little box there for me. So I want to keep, I want to stay right there a, li- a little bit before we get more into, and I want to connect the dots with the environment, obviously, but I want to keep this in regards to, thinking for black people and what you're talking about, really for all people who are vulnerable communities. But right. I wanted to speak about particularly for uh, Black uh, people. Um, so in that, I agree with everything you just said, 100%. The question is this, though. Um, what you're talking about, as they would say down where I'm from in Louisiana, that this is chess and not checkers. This, you're not playing checkers. It ain't just the moving. You're playing chess. But in that, the old the adage also goes, how do you play chess when not only you know your move, but the one you're playing against knows the move you're going to make as well? And so you're now in a position where we understand that land is our power and land is what we need to have to build our community, our wealth, um, our health, everything involves with us owning the land. It is clear then from redlining, from every aspect that since we've been here, everything, the the, 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 the false 40 acres and a mule um, and all those kind of things, we have seen from Black Wall Street and Tulsa to Wall Street all around to what we see in North Carolina, that they have done everything to keep us from owning the land. So what do you say now from a 21st century model Of this conversation, because that is where you were in the 18th or 19th or even 17th century. What do you say now for you as you are organizing and mobilizing in the 21st century based upon the dynamics of where we are as a people, not owning the land, not even understanding how the land works? What do you then say to that in this current moment that we're in?
0: Right. So a few thoughts come to mind. So first, the first thought is Rev, what you started with of in, in today's introduction of laying out just how many ways we're being impacted right now. Like we could go with climate change and, and it it and that's a whole conversation, right? We could go with racial justice. And and so elevating, there are so many ways that we have been and are still, as you said, under uh attack, right? It's from many layers. So our plan of action in the modern context can't be just one angle. It can't be solely from, uh, you know, racial justice without environmental justice. It can't be environmental justice without voter education and civic engagement. It is all intersectional because the impacts on our community come from different angles. And everyone holds a specificity. And so I'm a huge proponent of understanding where we come from. That's why I always like to start grounded with history, because as you were saying, if we study where we've been, how we made it successful but in chess studying the opponent then we can anticipate because patterns repeat itself patterns repeat right and so that one and today what we've seen is first grounding that education like you were saying uh becoming again more equated with what does it mean for, to have land ownership? What does it mean to have a cooperative? What does it mean to have a land trust? We have a lot of fundamental uh, education pieces that are happening, that organizations are doing a great work, but we have to continue with each generation and who is here right now at the same time of working with policy experts and litigators who can protect the land. While we're educating about land trust, let's already have our attorneys in, and there are attorneys who are doing this I want to give them credit, but it's a simultaneous impact on protecting the land legally at the same time that we're learning about the, the impacts, impacts that has been written in law that prevents you as an heir's property owner, right, land that's just been passed down in the family, from getting mortgages. This education has to be simultaneous with policy. We've seen this in history. Again, those are elements that will be successful today. But the other piece of what is today as well is again, ripping off and shaping our own narrative. I said that again, from history, we always think our we begin from slavery, we don't. We are seeing organizations and our communities say, you can't write my story anymore. Let's really talk about why my land is this way. It's not because I have a history, right? Let's talk about this for a minute. We hear that Black folks have uh, high hypertension rates. That's just genetic. We hear that illnesses and diseases are just something that's passed down genetically. What we don't see is our land has been poisoned because they have disconnected that education, that information from us. They haven't told us that when contaminants from certain corporations are poured into our soil, And then we grow food on that soil. But that's the reason we have high rates of cancer. There is a stripping of our power and our intellectual power because they are consistently gaslighting us. And so definitely I I go on the history, I go on the education, but that's a huge component to release the shackles, right, to liberate ourselves from what is modern day slavery. And that can't be disjointed from the other protests, from the other uh, issues that that we're seeing. That's everything from, you know, this is a completely different topic, but that connects to police accountability. That connects to what we're talking about, immunity. That connects to freedom on the land. All of it is interconnected, and we have to do that due diligence and continually not being siloed, ripping off the Band-Aid, and working with policy experts that are really aware, right? Whether it's allies, Or whether it's, you know, black or brown individuals who are in litigation who can fight in tandem with the community, not tell the community what they need. And so those are some things. But again, I don't think the pathway is clear. I think it's ever changing in this landscape. But we've got to study history if we are going to be effective at chess because it repeats itself. We were in a pandemic 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. 100 years ago, Tulsa, Oklahoma was bombed. Mm -hmm. 100 years ago, we saw Rosewood. We saw the massacre of Wilmington in 1898 right before that Spanish flu. Guess where we are again 100 years later? Another pandemic. Guess where we are? The murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Protests, the largest civil rights movement protests in the world history repeats itself and have we been preparing and will we prepare for the next 100 years or are we going to repeat the cycle again because we keep forgetting we don't shape our own narrative and we don't connect it to where we've been let's
1: let's deal with that i mean i think you're you're hitting on some fantastic points Um, and so i want to i want to deal with that because i agree with you i'm a big history I believe in that that's that's actually if people have heard me talk, they know I reference history day in and day out that's that's my thing um and i and i and I believe that we learn it's a roadmap, but I'm also a believer that um we have to take responsibility for educating our communities and We're we're going to get to the ally conversation a little bit later on. We get more into the climate change and climate crisis and climate, um, you know, awareness issue. But I want to deal with this issue, which you're talking about, because you're talking about our land being poisoned, um, our economic status, how we dealt with a pandemic. I was in Norfolk, Virginia, where they built the first one, of the first totally um, black theaters, um, the Attic's Theater in Norfolk, Virginia in, in 1919, which is written in smack middle. They took their money and they built what became the Apollo of the South. I bring that up because like literally they built things in the midst of a pandemic. And then you, you, when you now look back on history, you can connect the dots Like, wow, these folks were still organizing and mobilizing for their communities. So my question to you is this, is that I what keeps me up at night is the thought of what happens to, I don't want our people and our children to repeat this, but we're going through hundred years from now. I don't want them to say, wow, that was 1919, 1920. And here they go again in, in, in 2019 and 2020. And then here they go again in 21, uh, 19 and 21, 20. They, 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 we're in the same spot. So whose responsibility when I say that, I'm being clear and I don't know I'm not in trying to be controversial, but i'm also I'm just want to keep it 100% real. was it did our churches fall down on this, did our organizations that we as a community, what happened that we no longer begin to educate our community about these basic things to keep us surviving right,
0: right again um we have to look at like you bring up churches right and i'll start there because i think it's an excellent point i think it's excellent point of entry to discuss this we have to look at again the many layers of attack right what do i mean and i I say this with all due respect um to our faith-based leaders we're in the bible belt you know i was raised you know the the the, the black southern way uh many folks know what that means uh in in the bible belt but when during the freedom summer right of the civil rights movement in the 1960s Churches, as what you were saying, there was power, power before them, but I'm just starting at that point, yep. because that was one of the points of, of catalyst, right? that we began to see the government posture itself in a way to allow 501 C3, nonprofit becoming a nonprofit status, to churches, mm-hmm. in order to receive grants, right? in order to receive that support. And that's OK, that's great. Uh, because rural churches, urban churches as well, need the support, especially in Black communities, we can't. But what come came along with that is, you know, I know you were elevating uh, earlier when we were kind of uh, going back from intros, the C3, C4 hat that I wear all the time, becoming more and more deeply aware that there are restraints to C3, what you can say as a nonprofit. You technically, legally can't come out and say, don't vote for this person and say their name. You can't come out and say, vote for this person. They're a community advocate, they're a community champion. Uh, This is the person we want to run for office and they've applied, like they've actually filed. We're supporting them. You can't place church funds to supporting those candidates. Uh, You have to be very careful. You can't say policy number and name. Uh, It stripped us of being able to literally elevate our voice from the pulpit. And saying truth to power in a way, right, that it would just be plain language for our people Like, in Freedom Summer. These are the bad actors. This is who stripped our folks. And we have a responsibility, as you said, Reverend, we have a responsibility to take hold, to feed folks in the church, to educate folks in the basement, to teach people agriculture ways, because there are certain churches that would have like, you know, almost a Tuskegee model. But we're also are going to say this is who will champion our community when they run for office, hence why we saw during the Reconstruction era scores of Black elected officials only 45 years, 20 years, excuse me, after emancipation, right, that's what we were doing. We were building empires, emancipation hit, we were running, we were building, but when that C3 status came in, that was another backdoor way that we really haven't fully grasped because our, we need the resources because that again, our land was bombed, our lands were taken and we needed resources just to survive. So not only did the, the impact come on the front end, here comes away from the back end and say, well, here's resources, but here's the catch. You can't speak that truth to power in plain language from the church. And so sure. when we see examples of that, yes, it is our responsibility to teach. It is our responsibility to educate. And that's, I see so many communities doing it and they don't get credit. The elders that I see that have been leading community and the new generations that are gleaming. Like we oftentimes see like this this disconnect in the media, like, oh, the youth don't get along and you know, with the elders. And it's that's that's media. Yeah, believe me, folks disagree. I mean, come on, let's be real folks. Let's be let's be real people. Everybody doesn't agree on everything. But at the same time, the protest model, us marching, right? Like around the walls of Jericho was when, you know, when we were down in Raleigh before the pandemic hit and we were marching because there was another incidence of state section violence locally for us the pandemic they literally said the governor said on tuesday we're going to do stay-at-home order that night we were in the streets
1: Mm.
0: that night and we were marching and it felt spiritual We had faith leaders there, we had the megaphones, we were praying, we were playing music, we were singing. These are millennials, Gen Zers, and some of our elders out there, right? Some of the elders, even my mom was out there saying, I'm gonna keep watchdog for y'all. Like everybody was rolling deep. And we even marched past the jail and we looked up at them and we said, we love you. And they were just hitting on the glass, hitting on the glass. And that's spiritual. That connection is, it's in us, We do take care of our own, right? We absolutely do, but we are so, so attacked from so many angles that we don't see our own power. And even when we do things naturally, even when we march naturally, even when we love naturally, we don't even see what we just did. Mm. We think it was just a moment when it was a movement. Mm. And that's how we lose the momentum. And that's how we lose that education point, that curriculum, that research is because we didn't write down what we did. Everybody else studies us. And so, yeah, it is on us, but we really have to recognize who we are. I mean, I think about, and I'll stop here, Reverend, that even in Ireland, during the civil rights movement, they watched Selma. They watched Martin Luther King Jr. and they took back We Shall Overcome. They sang it and realized we want to use this to write our own freedom songs. The same thing happened in Tiananmen Square when those young people in China was being knocked down by the government. The same thing happened at the Berlin Wall. They were singing Negro spirituals for their liberation.
1: Wow. Well, we're going to get to a little bit of some of that history uh, and with environmental justice in North Carolina. And I want, to, I want us to pivot there. That's also part of what you work on. But you you saying some powerful things, and I just can't, <laughs> I just got it in, I want to just ask one more, I guess, follow-up to what you just said, because it's important for people to, I guess, based upon where we are now. The question is, um, if particularly our civil rights, our churches now have this non-profit status, does non-profit status mean you lose your it doesn't mean that you are supposed to be a non profit PROPHET status but are we are we losing our profit status for our profit PROFIT status and I we have to I'm just asking I mean you you I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm just asking now you 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 don't stir the pot here, let me I, I, you, you can't come in here and stir the pot and get the get the whole house smelling good and then walk <laughs> away now so I'm gonna come in here and say what's cooking and so I'm I'm. I'm, I'm about to we're gonna have that cooking conversation so is it does it has has our community lost because we we decided to be non-profit and said to be a profit for our people.
0: Hmm. Mm. You know, Reverend, I'm gonna have to. If you don't mind, I'm. I'm gonna have to share that nonprofit okay. <laughs> versus <the> profit. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> um. Whew. That is a uh, a very almost loaded question. The reason I say that is because I understand. I say it again. I understand their resources that our communities are in dire need of because of all the impact, and we could talk about that, right? And we, we will as the history, but just to get to your question, right? We have absolutely lost our ground to say, and to folks they speak truth to power, but we have lost that ground to really hold the bad agents that are elected accountable, that are responsible for taking campaign donations that have been proven to actually take money from these actual dirty corporations. We have all the numbers. We don't rant. We know how much they're receiving. When in 1982, when we saw the EJ movement birthed from Warren County, that was led by, yes, civil rights activists like Floyd McKissick and Reverend Ben Chavis. Okay, we see these pictures. We know that our spirituality, our connection to the creator has always been a pivotal point in the South. And so we do have to stand back and say, if the government is going to say there's a separation between church and state, then why did you offer the church state money? Mm -hmm. That's just the question. Now, I'm not going to go in and judge my people for getting the resources that they need. That's not the angle. I'm going to look directly at who set up the play. Now, why did you set it up? You can't separate both. And then when it's convenient, you're going to come in and mysteriously, miraculously give us funding that really should have always been ours. Money that probably is reparations, but you're going to code it to make it a catch-22. And so I have to look at it really suspect, because how did you separate it here? Right? But all of a sudden, we can take state and federal money in a place of worship that conveniently inhibits the ability for our faith leaders to do exactly what they've always done. And that shut it down. So
1: those are my thoughts. Facts. Facts upon facts upon facts. Um, Let's get to some more facts um, in this conversation. This dynamic conversation that we're having here that I know a lot of folks, because they're gonna, man, this is gonna get some, get that, get, get those wheels turning, hopefully, for a lot of people. You mentioned the environmental justice movement and, it, and the breadth of it being in North Carolina, particularly in Warren County. Um, and I want you to explain that. What is that? Um, what does that mean to you? particularly um, how that was started in Warren County with the landfill, the people rose up um, in that movement. But I want to give you something about history, a little bit of history before that. I think I want you also to, to overlay that. And I, since we're having this kind of just about, literally about our, um, our ownership of not only our land, but even our movement. And so, as we know, the modern day environmental movement um starts really with the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency. Um, there was the conservation movement, which has had a whole lot of problems. And thank you, Sierra Club, for recently coming out and dealing with some of your your past. We and people, I want to let people know we we appreciate that. I mean, people, I think people, we we like you to talk about you know what has gone wrong so we can move forward. So be clear, we appreciate like Sierra Club and others who came out and said, listen, you know, some of our, of our of our founders weren't the best people in regards to racial justice and to Black and Indigenous rights. So thank you for that. But moving forward, that's the conservation movement uh, that went on for the past 100, 125 years. But then the modern environmental movement is created really around in 1968, 1969. And I bring that up because most of the now, what we call Big Greens, those large reorganizations were created then. So you have people like NRC, LCV, Earth Justice, um, you know, Rainforest Action Network, President Earth. All those come post that time frame. Um, it's interesting because in 1968, we know that Dr. King was assassinated. You mentioned Dr. Ben Chavis, who was who was with him. Ronald, uh, it was one of his people who was supporting that Dr. 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 King uh, with the Wilmington Ten himself had been in prison for some time. But I want to say there was a lot of. Black. It was serious unrest. All of that time, a lot of folks were dealing with issues with the women's rights movement, the gay rights movement, and even the anti-war movement. But the movement isolated itself um, to some degree, and they began to do their thing. And most of their movement started around that time. Now, we had some great successes, clean air, clean water, certain things that happened. The Cuyahoga River was on fire in Cleveland, and we, the smog in LA. So there were some, there we had some wins along the way. But what's interesting now we fast forward, that's in 1968, 1970 with the bulk of the movement being created. Fast forward then 10 years later, the 1980. Um, and around that time now, I'm justice this movement that is being led by black people. Birth right there in North Carolina. And people begin to say this is the merging of environment and civil rights, but something happened. That merger didn't quite happen, and to this day, people now say that environmental justice has become the kitty table to the climate movement. And on top of that, if it wasn't for, in a kind of unfortunate way, because of the pandemic and because of the racial injustice um, we've seen from Breonna Taylor and George Floyd been a rise of environmental justice at this time. But before that, it was really off to the side. So one, this is a lot. but I mean, These are the two questions here that I, I wanted to bring to you. One, um, first, explain to people how in the world is it that an environmental justice movement is seen as a offshoot of the climate movement and even those within the climate movement have no idea why we should have environmental justice. Two, mm. do you think it was a mistake that when people were running after the movement was created, and then when President President Clinton came in 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 1992, we were running to be a part of the the mainstream movement? Was it a mistake on our part, knowing what you just said about? owning our movement, owning our land, was it a rush to be so, um, uh, just to be a part of that we lost the identity of the environmental justice movement, which has now been regulated in many cases of trying to scrap up the heap uh, in the modern day movement. That's a lot there, but I know you can unpack it.
0: And I appreciate you all. Look, I always learn something every time you speak. Look, the history, i have sitting here, like I already know what I'm gonna research. <laughs> uh, so thank you uh, for, for all that grounding. Yeah, that is a lot. That is a whole lot. Uh, so just thinking through just everything you're saying, right, I'm processing the question and thinking from many different layers, many, many aspects. Um, I'm a strategy thinker, so I always think like, what is the layers of impact, right? And then intent, intent and impact. When we look at and of course like my my research who I am as a community activist I say this like I I am a North Carolinian and I love all people I fight for well, just for low wealth populations but of course my specificity is black community okay and that's what we're talking about here for environmental justice black community black families were the original along with indigenous folks and and again black indigenous I'm um, here We were used as the economic model for the United States, for America. We were the economic model. When we talk about, and I'm going to come back to your question, when we talk about enslavement, right, and, and we talk about slavery, we were the mode of economic prosperity for states, for plantations, for elected officials who were elected based on how many of us they had enslaved, even that political power. What we're looking at with the environmental justice movement is when we see and I'm going to be very blunt here, if I can be. Please. We see the sacrifice of black and brown communities using that same economic model, pulling in funding to talk about community impact without the community. You can use the community, black community, as lab rats, research. You know, we'll quote black folks in a minute. Owen oh, Warren, da-da-da-da-da. And there's beautiful research, but they're not giving credit with being co-authors. You could quote them, but they're not going to get credit for publishing a paper. They're not going to be at the seminars at these universities talking about their own story. We are still used as a model for economic upward mobility for these organizations. It's the American way. Mm -hmm. So when we look at environmental justice is the kiddie table, it is. But in addition to that, it's, again, gaslighting so that we are constantly fighting to be at the table when there would be no table. There would be no food on that table if it wasn't for what they were benefiting off of us, our oppression, our pain, our dirty poison land. There is no research without the poison land. There is no research without the poison people, which shows the impact of that poison land. So if we become the center of our own story and we own it, which I think goes to your second question, did we uh, maybe cheapen the movement and move too fast? Again, we don't recognize who we are because if we recognize that, okay, yes, what you did to me, let's be real people, was violent and it is horrendous how you have treated us in our land, but you still, these nonprofits who have sparred after the 1968, you wouldn't have this grant funding this conversation—if you didn't come here and visit with community organizers who ain't from our community—so mm. if that's what you want to talk about, let's talk about it. Number one, number two, our communities have always done environmental justice, but did we even name it that? Let's also talk about the language and the culture. I was thinking about this. I was talking with my mother the other day, and you know, the old folks always say, "You can't—you know—you can lead—you know—you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink." Okay, the old folks would say that the southern way. But they always—they always said codes to make you think. Right. So I'm thinking about it and I'm like, let's think about that from the community organizing model. Let's think about it from the infiltration of our communities, who says you're the correct leader to lead that horse to the water. Mm. How did you lead them? Did you study the community? Are you from the community? Maybe that horse who is from that community who knows that water, cause you're not going to drink from that water all Maybe they know it's poison. Yet you trying to lead them there to drink. It. Why are you coming in? It's a whole model. Another thing, because I'm an ag, I'm also a livestock, a livestock person. Um, Oftentimes, horses won't actually drink from water if they are too fatigued, if Mm. they're stressed, even if they're too thirsty. Sometimes it is too laborious for them to drink. But if you don't know that because that's not where you're from, then you're over here talking about, well, black community, we tried to invite you in, but you just didn't believe in fracking. No, mm-hmm. oh, it's just not that serious. I've heard it. I've been in these, these meetings where I am blown away when they're like, yes, black community, brown community, they don't care until the impact is there. Actually, no, you're not an effective leader. You named our movement that we've been leading for years, repackaged it, relabeled it so we couldn't recognize it when the grant funding comes in and then you want to pretend that we're not engaged. So I just think through those, those modes of saying, yes, I, I do think, and just reflecting on the second question you asked, was it a movement that we joined too fast with environmental justice? It is difficult when it again, I say gaslighting so many times, and, I, and I'll unpack that. We have been fighting for years against stolen land, right? Mm-hmm. Like we lost close to a million acres by civil rights movement, by that 1960s, we lost, right? For 14% of land ownership was black folks, went down to 1%. We were so busy fighting and the land that we kept, they were trying to dump PCB on. They were trying to dump contaminated soil. So not only are you gonna take my land, what you did leave me on, you're gonna contaminate it. Mm -hmm. And when it was finally this moment for someone to say, join us, we will help you fight. Honey, I'm tired, I'm weary. You're poisoning me and, and it's hard to self advocate when I can't even breathe to utter the words of what I need. So your proposition in this movement, at the same time, of gaslighting and not telling me that this movement was always mine. Hmm. So I don't think our folks even recognized our movement. We just thought it was hell.
1: Wow. No, I, no, that that that's 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 heavy. Um, climate justice is racial justice, and racial justice is climate justice. I'm sure that you agree with that statement. Um, basically everything, everything you have said so uh, greatly and <laughs> in, in great fashion so far. But I know you agree with that. Um, and our people, as you mentioned earlier, have been dealing with the statement that George Floyd said, um, which is, I can't breathe. Um, we've been saying that since literally when people did come here, on slave ships and they, they were at the bottom of those slave ships they would say i can't breathe when they were packed like cargo then and they've been saying it all the way um, up until now and so that phrase is still something that we as a people have been saying in this land um, my question for you as someone who is both dealing with racial and climate equity is this um, eric garner So that exact same phrase as well in New York City when he was choked to death six years ago. He said, I can't breathe because of an illegal chokehold. But it's facts that we know that 68% of Black people, in particular, and people of color, within 30 miles of a coal-fired power plant. And most of those that you mentioned, that the land being polluted, but also the air being polluted, and the water being polluted as well. So what people don't know is that even though George Floyd and Eric Garner were killed by police, and policing is a climate policy issue, people need to understand that. But what we need to also understand here is that Erica Garner, who was Eric Garner's daughter, was fighting for him. But like all of Eric Garner's children, she had asthma. And she died in her 20s because of a heart attack that was induced by asthma. So my question to you is is this. Um, It seems like we are in the midst of genocide. And, And it seems like we are dealing with the issue of climate justice and racial justice and now a pandemic and poverty all at the same time. How do we do that, Lamisha? How do we deal with all these things? How do we fight poverty and pollution and pandemic and police brutality all at the same time? How do you do that? How do you, I know you've done it in Advanced Carolina and you can speak to that and with redlining, all those different things. But at this moment, and people need to hear a word, I mean, because we've been saying I can't breathe since we got here and we need to move forward so we shall breathe we, we need to move forward. and you've given some things that help to that but how do we fight all these things you mentioned it's not a siloed movement but dang it definitely feel like we fight a lot of things a lot of different fronts
0: right right um i'm just breathing you know obviously i'm just taking deep breaths um and just reflecting on our people who we've lost uh it's always it's always heavy it's always a heavy reminder of why do what I do? Um, and so with that, I wish I had the answer, right? I wish that I had that uh, as many, I know that all of us, I know that you ever say, wait, it, I wish there was that switch that says, if we just do this one thing, we just do these five things and we check off the list, it's done, we're liberated, our environments are clean, but that's not the case. And so where we are and where we have been, we are in modern day slavery. Let's and that's the other part, is like as folks, uh, we call it black joy, we are naturally happy people. We love and we love, we love, we love. Yeah, I mean, come on now, you go to a family reunion, everybody wants to be invited to the cookout everybody that's that's on social media honey You, invite, we hand out cookout cards like uh, and we will love people in a minute you know you love us you coming to the cookout just don't bring don't bring no potatoes out that's the only rule <laughs> <Go with it. laughs> that's the only rule just come baby just come we'll feed you don't worry um and so because of that joy that is that resilience when p- people say you know oh Uh, I sometimes like, oh, I'm not my ancestors, honey. You more your ancestors, and you realize how you think you made it. You think they just laid down and took whatever. Their mode of freedom is what got us here. And so, when I think about how do we fight all these layers, we have to, number one, always have a succession plan, Mm -hmm. and number one, realize. This is not a sprint. We wish it was. We wish, because we're happy people, we're loving people, and we know we're not going to treat people bad. Yeah, everybody, every every community's got, you know, some bad apples, uh, some people that you know, okay, come on in, we need to have a talk. But let's be real, folks. We, historically, there is no proof that we massacre 1898 Wilmington style. We are not, come on now, the news press release of a militia that just tried to overtake the governor's mansion and overthrow the government that's not our style and so with that we do have to be real people and realize that this is a marathon which means that we can't stop fighting even when we want to mm-hmm. even when it's like but i i'm tired so that succession plan is some of our elders have been doing this for 50 60 70 plus years yeah. who's next have we supported our elders and training the next warriors Have we supported, even let's talk about the Tulsa, Oklahoma model, okay? They had their own military. They had their own police. They had private airplanes. But when we do that again, and it's happening, people are buying land. How are we planning offensive tactics? That's a whole nother conversation I won't get in. I'll just rest right there. How are you going to be offensive so you're not always on the defense? How are you going to protect what you have? Let's learn. Let's learn. And then the other side of it is, who is prepared to take it on? And like I reflect back on the kingdom of the happy land, every family had a role. One family was known for being blacksmiths. One family was known for being midwives. And they knew and they trained every single child to do that. I even see that right now in Mississippi, one of my favorite organizations. I love them. They know I do. Southern Echo. I love them. They're, they're actually the reason for the redistricting successes we've had across the nation. California actually replicated their redistricting model in order to win fair representation. So let's give them some credit. But guess what they do? They taught and they still teach new generations how to do actual like population math
1: hmm.
0: in their heads. I've seen it. They can use pencil and paper, try to teach me how to do it. I was like, I don't know if I'm, I don't don't think that's my, my gift. I don't think that's my ministry. But I say all this to say that we have so many natural gifts and talents. What is our succession plan? What is our mental health strategies that make sure that our people are well taken care of so they're not burned out? because this fight is not going to stop. There isn't a quick fix to this because this country runs on our oppression. And all the time they tell us, oh, get over it. Uh, It's history because they don't want us to connect that literally when we talk about, there's so many layers of it, right, Reverend? There's so many layers. When we talk about corporations moving into black and brown communities, most of the time those communities are undercounted in the census. And then they use that census data as the reason these corporations can move in because on paper, no one lives there. But on paper, the IRS will still come get you if you don't pay your taxes. Now, which one is it? We are attacked from so many angles and there isn't one way to liberation because it's tangled up. And I wish I had the answer. But again, we are in an abusive relationship with America. We are in the house. How do we leave? Mm. We've never left. And how do we know what liberation tastes like if we've never experienced it? So that's a loaded question. It's hard. No, no, no. No, it's it,
1: it, it, no. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking because you know I think we bit by bit we're getting pieces, and we need to we need to deal with these 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 hard keep up at night type questions. Um, and we know, uh, man, you're right. This country runs on our oppression, man, and they will try to keep us in that state. You know. When I think about right now what you did with the hurricanes, like Hurricane Florence and the hurricane that came through um, in North Carolina and your response to that, um, I guess I want to, you know, I deal with this thought a lot because, you know, I'm from Louisiana and 15 years ago we had Hurricane Katrina and I watched, literally watched um, my family and friends. Uh, drowned in the richest country in the world, literally. And I heard then, then when I went back to New Orleans and back into the state, heard the stories of literally like Mama D, who is now passed away, my dear, my dear, dear, dear friend, and Shiro, first black woman to lead the NAACP N- in New Orleans. Um, amazing, as you know, uh, black women with beautiful gray, all gray dreadlocks. Um, and and uh, in a community of black folk who had to own their homes and live there, and they fought. That's why you, when you were talking earlier, I was thinking about that on Derjewan Street, 7th Ward, and New Orleans, and they fought to own them homes that they had. But when the hurricane hit, uh, Mama Dean and her son, because she was younger, she's like in her, her, her late 60s at the time, um, um, like right about 70s, late 60s, and the people in her community, were like in their 80s, um, she began to see. Um, her neighbors, those folks who had owned their homes, overcome racism, overcome them jobs, was spitting on you first, last one hired, first one fired, riding in the back of the bus, all fighting for their babies to go down to Southern or Grambling or whatever black Jacksons, they didn't go to. Um, she, when Hurricane Katrina hit, she saw them floating down the street. and She said, those are my neighbors. And she went out there and would tie them to the tree in the front of her house. And this is what we, even we own, we were there left behind. So I guess when I now think about Hurricane Delta that is hitting the Gulf Coast and Hurricane Laura and all these hurricanes, now we, Delta, for people to be clear, Hurricane Delta is a Greek alphabet, going through the entire alphabet. Now we we in the Greek alphabet now. We've had so many hurricanes this season. I guess to, to I'm tired of seeing my people being washed away. You know, let me. I'm tired of my people being killed like dogs. I'm tired of, after the storm hit, they were stopped on bridges with guns because they couldn't go to the white neighborhood. I'm tired of seeing all of that. And I, I'm just tired of that. I'm tired. So now I'm talking about climate resiliency and adaptation. So what's your thoughts on that? I mean, what's your thoughts on where, when you now are talking about environmental justice and climate justice and you're speaking and you're doing what you do, you got to think about our people are dying and they die in these storms Um, And it's like nobody really cared about that, other than to just say that it's an inconvenient truth. We know the inconvenient truth really is white supremacy, and so how do we deal with that? How do you deal with that?
0: Right. Uh, Well, first, Reverend, I just want to say thank you for trusting me with that, with with your story, with your truth, because we oftentimes don't pause, uh, and I'm trying to change that. I feel like that's that's colonization that we just rush past what is actually like hurt, trauma, pain, trials, tribulations, loss. And so I just want to say thank you um, because you didn't have to tell me that. You didn't have to share that with me. Um, And it is something I would definitely reflect on. Uh, I had uh, just the honor of of visiting um, NOLA about two years ago. And sometimes I have a habit of uh, I'll choose like Uber or Lyft, doesn't matter which one. And um, I will literally just pay to ride with whoever the person is and just talk. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll talk about like redistricting and, and, or just something random. Um, and there was a sister who just honored me with the, just just driving me around New Orleans just to show me the impact. And I can't even grasp what you're telling me because that's, that, that's your people. But just to have her like share with me, this is what hurts. And just because we were just riding together, she was like, if you want to. I'll even take, you know, I'll turn off, you know, the, the app. I said, don't turn off that, baby. Don't do that. You know, um, you, you, you know, you invite me. I got time. I got time. And I, and that's really when you say, what do I do? I have to be in community. This is like a personal me, right? And then I'll get into the business side of it. I have to be in community with my people. Mm-hmm. I have to, because no one understands what we have gone through like us. You know, nobody could tell my story. <laughs> like I could tell my story. We hear all these old sayings, these old hymns, these old, you know, but it really is what it is. And so when I'm in community, they my people, their spirit rejuvenates my spirit because it is weary. It is hard. It is hard because I've lost, you know, I teach, you know, you said like the music school, I've lost my babies. I've Mm -hmm. lost them to the other side. I've lost them to prison in the prison pipeline. I've lost my babies. And Mm -hmm. I've I've, I've had to search down and be in community to, like, literally find kids that are missing that we found, but everybody doesn't have that story. And so I have to be in community with my people because of that Black joy, because somehow we still find a time to smile Mm -hmm. when we're reminiscing on an ancestor who's just gone too soon. So that's my piece. Um, I'm I'm blessed to be in community with my my brother, my mother, my grandma, my immediate family because they ground me. They say, baby, don't get swept up because it's still happening. And if you expend too much of you and you tear yourself apart, honey, the movement's going to keep going whether you're here or not. What's your succession plan? Who did you meet in community and what did you leave with them? What history did you leave? What research did you leave so they can wage that, that lawsuit? Did you break down plain enough why they need to be counted in the census? Because with those emergency routes, they use it as an excuse not to actually put you on the map. They use it as an excuse not to put it on the FEMA disaster route, that when you needed people to come save you, you wasn't on the census. And they said, oh, nobody lives here. And they use that. You have to think strategically because your people will consistently be unattached. And I saw it and, of course, why, you know, I again appreciate what you shared to me because I read this book called The Shock Doctrine Mm -hmm. and they broke down what they did to Louisiana. They broke it down that they strategically implemented an economic takeover to gentrify land in the middle of a disaster. That's the model. So when we see every disaster come through, these climate disasters, we are going to have climate deniers because they benefit from it. We're not trying to convince them the science is real. We all know the science is real. We all know urban heat islands are real and it is going to get hotter. We know that food deserts and food insecurity is real because our lands are completely stripped of the nutrients in addition to not having what we need around us, grocery stores. We know that these climate disasters like Hurricane Matthew and Michael and Florence and Eastside East and Dorian coming through, we know, everybody know it's real but there are people who benefit off of gaslighting us and telling us it isn't, it isn't real because they can gentrify the land which we're not on it. And we need to get out of trying to convince our oppressor that they're oppressing us. They know it keeps us in this circle cycle of effect of saying, no, you have to see it. You have to be better than this. You will have your allies and they know who they are. We don't have to convince them of what's happening. When we get into that convincing, we have wasted our energy. We've wasted valuable time to be a community with our own people. We've wasted time building our own communities because we're too busy trying to coddle someone who already knows what they're doing. And we are expending our time and energy on folks who are not going to replenish that energy in return.
1: That's a whole No, no. Well, let me I just want to say thank you for and I know folks who are listening to this right now, when they when they when they are checking out this conversation, they're gonna be either this engaged or in tears or like we are this was, this was a very emotional important uh conversation that you know that I'm glad that we had that it allowed us to man it was it, it was just a cleansing I mean I, I'm just going to say that but powerful thank you and this was I, I want to give you the opportunity um to I know this to say uh, anything you know from your policy side or from your work side, I don't want you. I don't want, I want whatever. We had this church conversation. We done went to church right. and we done got the snot rags out. We crying. we do here and we on the floor, and, and we do forgot about all the little things, all the autumn all C3s and C4s we don't been working on, and we don't that done been out the window. Well, we over here. Oh man, so I, I want to give you the opportunity. <laughs> Please give your piece, whatever you want to, whatever you, if it's, if it's, I mean, from redlining, if it's one of the organizations, whatever it's on your heart to share on that people need to know about that you just think is important, just, just go for it. Right. Um,
0: it- Thank you again for this conversation, Uh, I needed it. This was a wonderful, wonderful uh, conversation for my week, for my year, I needed this. Um, You have no idea, Uh, my soul smiles. Um, So one thing, right? And then I'll just drop a couple of links. Everyone in our community plays a role in our liberation. There is not one, like I said, way to liberation, which means there's not one person. This is not a one person centered movement and we've got to get away from that model. We've got to get away from relying on one person for our liberation just because that's colonization. Let's just be real people, okay? Let's be real, real people to save your model. The second thing is this, that person that you're putting all that burden on is also going to get tired and where's their relief and is it fair to them? It goes both ways. So why do I say that? If you are a plumber in your community, congratulations, when we build our homes, we need you. If you can build the home, we need you. If you know how to till the land, We need you. We need midwives because we know that the rates of medical malpractice against black women is just as high as state station violence, but we haven't addressed that yet. We need you. When we are talking about these faith leaders who edify our spirits and make sure that we are energized for the week to come because we know that the fight is long, we need you. Everybody plays a role. Everyone. No one is more important than the other person in this liberation, and they have done that, right? Our technical degrees, honey, I went to community college, okay? I went to community college just like I went to university. My community college experience built me to be in a place where I could see the technical landscape, that Tuskegee model, that Jessup wagon, right? These are some facts on folks. You know you already know it, great. if you don't, look it up. Um, but it helped to, you know, Make me well-rounded with the W.E.B. Du Bois model, right? You need both. You don't have to go to school. I say all that, being real wrong. You have an expertise that is in you, that you have done, and you don't even know it. Please strengthen that because we need you. Uh, Visit this website. I'm not a supporter of this website. I don't put research into this website. I just use it to research pollution sites around me. It's called HOME, H-O-M-E-F-A-C-T-S, homefacts.com. You could just look up brownfield super funds. Uh, those are words. Look them up and you'll see what's around you. Literally putting your zip code. Be aware of what's around you because you could be uh, in the future building a movement to fight what you didn't realize was there until you saw what was on this pollution map. The other thing is, you know, check out Advanced Carolina. It's a C4. We can talk about that later. North Carolina Black Alliance, C C3. We build black political and economic power through education, through supporting and training, because we literally are in 35 counties, but it's the people in the counties who are leading. We just support. That's the other thing. We know the community has the expertise, right? And finally, what I'll say is just again, thank you for having me here. And I'm always, my door is always open. That's what I like to end with, is that there's research and research and write down everything you do in community, even if you don't think it's important. You did something, you saved someone in a hurricane, you, you gave food, right? Like the movement that you were talking about, Reverend, we gave food to folks. We dispatched literal water, uh, vinegar for the mosquitoes, and we dropped off voter guides. We didn't know that that same county would be the one that experienced the 844 absentee ballot theft. The same folks, same folks. Write that down because that story is your research that proves your impact. And it shows the future generations the models that they need to keep, what they need to refine, and what they need to change in order to adapt to modern times. They need that historical accuracy. So please record everything you do so that we can shape our own narratives and stop being the villain in our own story, where we are clearly the heroes. Mm-hmm.
1: LaMisha, if folks want to find you, how can they, how can they find you? Give them, give them your websites and whatever you want to give them, you know, social media. Absolutely. That process. So my
0: email, uh, L-A-M as in Mike, E-S-H-I-A, at ncblackalliance.org. It's an easy way to get to me, email me there. Uh, And you can also visit www.democracygreen.org, which is a organization in which I'm proud to sit on the board of and be in fellowship with them. They're a black environmental justice organization that is grounded in the East and the West, which is really awesome. Um, They do a lot of hurricane disaster relief. So you can also go there and directly like contact through there and you'll reach me.
1: Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100% which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people.